Hello and welcome to Behind the Health Statistic. My name is Ricky Hellier and I'm a lecturer at Cardiff University School of Healthcare Sciences. In this three-part special, we'll be exploring the topic of endometriosis with my colleague Lara. So what is endometriosis? Well, it's a long-term condition where tissue similar to that of the line of the womb grows in other parts of the body, such as the abdomen, the ovaries, fallopian tubes. We're not really sure of the cause, but it seems to be linked to genetics or a problem with people's immune systems. Endometriosis costs the UK economy around about $8 billion a year in treatment, loss of work and healthcare. Symptoms include often severe abdominal pain, terrible period pains, and pain or discomfort during and after sex. Treatments for the condition include painkillers, hormone medicines and surgery to move endometriosis tissue. And we think there's around about 160,000 women in Wales with endometriosis. That's equivalent to the population of Swansea. Average GP visits to diagnosis is 26 compared to 20 in England. And the average time it takes to get a diagnosis is nine years in Wales compared to eight in England. Women in Wales with endometriosis are more likely to be unemployed due to symptoms than the women living elsewhere in the UK. And around about 43% of endometriosis patients in Wales report to being in poor health or very poor health compared to 30% elsewhere in the UK. As you'll hear in the interview, one of the first indicators of endometriosis is abnormal periods. 49% of pupils in the UK have missed school days because of a result of their periods, and one in four girls and young women across the UK said, said they felt unprepared for the start of menstruation. Organisations such as Fair Treatment for the Women of Wales seek to address issues such as this, and we'd really like to thank them for their contribution in making this podcast. So now over to the discussion. So I'm here with Lara today, who's kindly agreed to talk to us about her experience of having endometriosis. Hi, Lara, are you all right? Hi, Ricky. I'm good, thank you. Oh, good, thank you. So, um, should we just start then? Can you tell us a little bit, a bit of background of um, how you found out about endometriosis? And yeah, just tell us a little bit leading up to sort of diagnosis and identifying that, that it was a problem for you. Yeah, sure. So, um... I think I had some awareness of endometriosis. I mean, I just sort of heard the term, but didn't really know kind of what it what it meant. Um, but for me, um, probably my my journey started about um, four or five years ago now, um, which is when I was first referred to gynae. Um, but prior to that, um, I'd always had like painful periods. Um, smear tests were awful <laughs> um so i always i always booked a double appointment whenever i needed my routine smear because i knew it was going to be painful and i needed extra time and that's what i'd been advised to do by one of the gps was to book a double appointment with the gp and um, to have my smears um and i just thought that was normal you know because everyone says you know smears are uncomfortable and nobody likes having that done so I just thought that this was normal. Um, the same with my periods, really. Um, I always thought that what I experienced was just normal. It was just something that I just had to put up with. Um, but going so, back- so what, what did you, you know, when, uh, with your periods, what, what, how you, what were you experiencing? Um, so the, the main thing for me was quite severe abdominal cramps um, and lo- lower, um, what I now know was pelvic pain, but I just assumed it was just sort of global stomach cramps, really. Um, and uh, so my periods are quite heavy, but not, again, not as heavy as other people get as well. So, um, yeah, so yeah, pay, painful periods are quite heavy, but they would last, my periods would last about sort of five days maximum. The first two days would be the worst. Um, and like day one, day two, yeah, stomach pains, um, to the point like when I look back where I would have like quite bad, like nausea, I was never sick, but I had like nausea, um, and it, it probably would have been better for me sometimes to just curl up on the sofa. Um, but I, as I say, I just thought this was normal and not something that I could really complain about. So I would just power through. So I never had a day off school due to my periods or menstrual well-being. Never had a day off work or uni either. 
um yeah and as I say it's just something that I just sort of powered through with um now when I was about uh 19 or so I did have a random appointment with a with a gynecologist uh which was a bit out of the blue I was having some scans for back pain and they thought they saw something in my ovaries on the on the MRI so they referred me to gyne and uh, they didn't really find anything which was good um but it led to a conversation about my period pain and um the gynecologist had said to me then well you know if you get paid for periods and you're finding it difficult then you know you could probably consider going on the pill um and i'd never wanted to go on the pill um i personally don't really like taking medication unless it's absolutely necessary um and it just wasn't something that really worked for me um i didn't have a sexual partner either so it didn't occur to me either for like a contraceptive point of view um so i really wasn't keen um but i was uh, persuaded nonetheless to give it a go um and the, the pill did help um it did help to kind of make my periods very regular so i knew exactly when they were going to be um and it did they did make them lighter um didn't always get rid of the pain altogether but it did help um so i was just on yeah i was on the pill for a good number of years then until about um two or three years ago when i was suffering with migraines and they thought it'd be best if i came off it um so sorry i've lost track really. that's all right can, can i ask you about you said something really and i find this like sort of like really interesting about pain and it's a case of I, I don't know it feels like in other aspects areas of life we we, we see, seem to sort of want to get rid of pain in certain ways but it almost feels like I suppose the two questions really for you is, is sort of is, is why is it that do you think that that we accept that women can be in pain which I, I I'm not entirely convinced as a man that in men's health we'd accept that um, and two, because it's such a personal thing, I suppose, at what stage do you go from this is a normal, acceptable pain to this is abnormal? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's probably one of the difficulties with not just endometriosis, but women's health issues generally, is it is very much like periods are not pleasant things, but everyone gets them and they're painful and they're annoying and yeah so you know it 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 kind of normalized if that makes sense yeah and um, but in some ways by normalizing it in that way i mean i never talked to my friends about my periods even though you know most of us have them or all of them have, all of us have them um so, you know, I can't remember any conversations with people my own age about my periods other than, oh my gosh, I've just come on, have you got a sanitary towel I can borrow? And, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I, you know, I do remember things like being in lessons at school, knowing that I needed to go to the toilet, but not wanting to put my hand up to go, because even though I, no one's going to know why I'm going, but it was just that feeling that I'm on my period and it just makes you feel very self-conscious, I guess um so yeah i i yeah i do think that periods and having pain during periods and discomfort has been like it's it's normalized in society and it's like seen as to be acceptable for women to put up with that and i think that then becomes very difficult then to identify when something isn't normal yeah <laughs> in yeah commas um and in some ways like we can argue like what is normal as well um so yeah so yeah so i for yeah for years i never thought there was anything wrong if that makes sense i just thought this is just what periods are like for me and i just put, you know i just put up with them um unfortunately for me i have an allergy to certain uh, um anti-inflammatory medication so the only medication that i could take was paracetamol which for me didn't take the edge off enough <laughs> mm. but it it 
just about did enough uh, that I could sort of manage. And I, I do, yeah, I do, and um, I did, and I still do function as normally as I can when I'm on my period. Um, but um, yeah, looking back, I know that that's, you know, it's not normal. And I did probably, I had struggled for years without realizing that there was something not right. Um, but for me, like, uh, difficulties down below have been something that I've had since a kid. Um, so from the day that I was toilet trained, I was um, unable to control my bladder if I was laughing. Um, yeah. So I used to completely wet myself, which as a little kid, that's fine. And as I grew up, it just became something that me and my best friend would laugh about if I went to sleepovers I would take all of my knicker drawer with me <laughs> because I knew I was going to have fun but I also knew I would end up wetting myself um, and probably about the age of 14 or 15 when I had an incident in in town with a group of friends where I lost complete control of my bladder um, that was the moment where I thought I need to do something about this because I can't carry on in this situation. It's incredibly embarrassing. Um, so I did have women's health physio when I was in my mid-teens. Um, and they said that I had um, something called pelvic floor dysfunction where, um, or a weak pelvic floor. Um, so I, I was given like the pelvic floor exercises and that sort of thing. So I had seen sort of women's health professionals, I guess, at certain points in my teenage years for different for things that may uh, be may have been unrelated, but in some ways they they might have been in other ways. Um, but even, you know, even with having that input, which I did, and I know there are probably other women that never had any input until they were referred uh, later on in life to gyne. Um, but even with that, it never occurred to me that there was something else going on. Yeah. yeah. It, it's bizarre, isn't it? It's, it's that sort of normalisation of, of two things, really. It's the normalisation of, 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 of discomfort and pain mm -hmm. that you sit through and almost a, the normalisation of not discussing it is that yeah. you don't talk about it. Yeah. And, and I, I suppose in your case, it almost your diagnosis of endometriosis came from almost an incidental. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so um, where are we now? Yeah, just just over a year ago, um, I had a lump in my in the right side of my groin, and this lump had, as when I look back, the lump had been there on and off, probably for about a year. Or 18 months um but it always sort of came and went and the pain was very much like a, a like a muscle strain um and I had gone to the GP about it when I first when I first developed it and um because I'm a runner I run and um, we you know we both thought that that's what it was it was a groin strain and because it kept going away for months at a time there was no kind of other pattern to it that's kind of just what I put it down to and you just think oh I've got a bit of a weakness there um but as I say yeah just over a year ago the lump came back and it didn't go away um so by this point I'd already been under gynecology for about three years um and I was referred to them by my GP following one of my painful smear examinations. And the GP was very taken aback at how, uh, how painful I found the examination. And she, afterwards she sat me down and she, she said, I'm gonna ask you a really personal question. And I said, okay. And she said, um, she, first of all, she said, have you always found smears painful and I said yes and thinking to myself but doesn't everybody <laughs> um and then she said to me and do you do you have pain in other ways like through intercourse and I said to her yes um I do but again I thought that was normal because I've only had one sexual partner and everyone says it's gonna hurt the first couple of times so 
you know? And um, she was like, right. She said, I'm, I'm not convinced that this is actually normal. And I think that there's maybe something else going on here and we need to, we need to refer you to gynecology. So I came out of the appointment thinking, okay, well, that's fine. Let's see what gynae say. Um, so I was seen by the gynecologist and um, as I say, back, you know, sort of talking to years ago at this point, and um, they, they weren't really sure what, what the problem was. I couldn't tolerate a physical examination at the time, so they couldn't even examine me properly. And um, so the gynecologist said to me, he said, right, he said, we could do something called a laparoscopy, which is where we would insert a camera in through your belly button and have a look around and see if there's something going on. Um, however, uh, it's, you know, that's going through surgery and we might not find anything. So he went through the pros and cons of me. And he said, but what I can tell you is that there's potentially something going on with your pelvic floor muscles, um, which may or may not be related. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's something that we could look at first. So having had women's health physio before, I knew what to expect. And I said, yep, let's go down that route first before we look at any kind of invasive procedures. <laughs> um, so I was under women's health physio for about 18 months. Um, and that was very hard going. Um, the first appointment I had, she said to me, you need to be prepared that you're in this for the long run. This is not going to be a quick fix. And um, she was right. Um, it wasn't a quick fix. Um, I had to do a lot of um, exercises, pelvic floor exercises and other stretches in that area. Um, and um, yeah, it was very, uh, what's the word? <laughs> very demoralizing at times the progress was very slow um, but she would say things to me like this is a muscle that we're trying to not only retrain because my pelvic floor muscle wasn't actually working how it should so it was involuntary involuntarily tensing and I couldn't tell the difference between relaxed and tense um, and then also on top of that then you had the pain cycle where now I associated anything down there with pain <laughs> Um, so you're trying to overcome um, that as well, where your body, your mind is associating pain with that area. Um, so that was very slow, but it did, it did help and I was able to sort of progress with that. Um, but coming back to the, the lump in my groin, um, as I say, it had come back and it wasn't going away. And so I went to, I had actually had a, by coincidence, had a, a gynae review. <laughs> and I said, oh, while I'm here, I've got this lump in my groin and it hasn't gone away. Could you, um, would you mind having a look? So she made that mean, she's like, she said, I'm not really sure what this is. Um, but I think, you know, you should probably go to your GP and get some uh, tests done. So I went to my GP um, and it was a male GP. Um, I don't think, I don't know if that matters really, but I just think it's worth pointing out that it was a male GP I was seeing. You know what, I was, I was going to ask you, um, does it make a difference? To me, it doesn't make a difference. Um, I have um, in the past had a male GP when I've asked questions about women's health related issues that he has himself suggested that I see a female GP, yeah. um, which is, I'm fine by me. And I'd rather that they say that. Um, but it doesn't matter to me really, whether it's male or female. Um, but what matters to me is that I'm being heard. Um, and so, it did, yeah, it didn't matter to me that I was seen as male GP. And as it turns out, I thought I was just going for a groin strain. So I hadn't even thought about it being women's health related anyway. And maybe if I had, I might have requested a female. But anyway, I was seeing this GP and um, he was, to be fair, he was extremely thorough. He thought it was a lymph node. Um, so he did it, examined my groin, my, like my under my arms, my neck, and all the areas where they, they examined for lymph nodes. Um, 
and because of my medical history of cancer um so he was aware of that um so he wanted to opt for a bit of a watch and wait approach <laughs> and let's leave it a week or two and see what happens so, so just I to add in it's just to say that um for people listening you, you had cancer as a child didn't you yeah yeah, yeah. sorry sorry carry on no no that's fine my interview um so he he wants to do this watch and wait approach so i said we can do that but how about we don't <laughs> and how about we do blood now so he agreed sent me for blood tests and gave me an appointment the following week for a review so when he was sending me out with my blood appointment for blood tests i said to him um could, could you um could you refer me for an ultrasound and he was like oh why why would we do that and i said well i've got a lump that's painful and it hasn't gone away and my medical history and i'm very much of the opinion that if this is going to be something that we would probably do at some point then could we not do it now <laughs> instead of wait um so i i, I don't really know why but he, he didn't want to do it then he wanted to do the bloods so i said okay fine let's do the bloods and let's wait and see. So I left there very much thinking, as soon as I get these results, I am going to ask again <laughs> um, for the ultrasound. So, um, so I remember getting a phone call from him to say that um, he'd got the blood results and they were normal. Um, and there was, there was nothing, nothing of concern, which was good. So at that point then, he referred me for an ultrasound um, so I was seen probably in about within a month of that, which was good, uh, for the ultrasound. So I had the ultrasound and the radiologist, the first thing he said was when I pointed to the area, he said, I don't think that's a lymph node. It's not quite in the right place. So I'm thinking to myself, well, what is this then? Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway he did the ultrasound and he said to me he said right um i don't think this is a lymph node um the lymph nodes in that area are a little bit inflamed but not surprising that there's because there's something else there that's irritating them um he said i think this is some this is something called a, a thrombophlebitis which is um like a swelling in the vein not yeah. a ddt <laughs> Um, and he said it can be caused by trauma or injury to the area, such as if you're running. Um, so I was like, okay, great, that's good. Um, he said, but I want you to come back in a month. We'll do the ultrasound again, see if it's changed. So I said, okay, fine. Went back in a month, um, it hasn't changed. Now at this appointment, it was the same um, consultant radiologist, which was good because for me, I'm very much the contributor. Um, but he had a member of staff observing that day. And so while he's doing the ultrasound, this lady's chatting away to me and asking me all these questions about this lump and when I noticed it and stuff. And I happened to say to her, do you know, there's something funny about this lump. I've noticed over the last month or two that it becomes more painful when I'm on my period. And I just... I hadn't really thought about it until that moment. Um, and I didn't think anything of it and just carried on chatting to her. The radiologist then said to me, look, um, it hasn't changed, which is neither a good or a bad thing really. Um, but rather than send you away and bring you back again, would you consent to a ultrasound guided needle biopsy of this lump now we can send it off a test and find out exactly what this is so i said yep let's do that crack on uh yeah having a needle in your groin is not very comfortable at all um but he was very gentle and he explained exactly what he was doing as he was doing it which was good and he did warn me when he was about to take the biopsy sample because it makes quite a loud clicking sound um and it's like a it's like a, almost like a punch isn't it really a punch uh, uh, they take away the 
like a hole punch, I guess. <laughs> so um, he did warn me when he was about to do that, which was good, because otherwise I probably would have jumped a mile. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he put, took a couple of samples and he said that they were really good samples, which was good. So he said to me afterwards, he said, right, I'm sending these off. As I said to you before, I don't think it's a lymph node, but we will put query lymphoma down to make sure that they test that. Um, he said, I, I really think it's a thrombophlebitis or something else. I can't remember what, he, what the other thing was. He said, but um, I noticed you just said something about um, it being painful, more painful when you're on your period. And I was like, yeah. And he said, so I'm gonna put on here query endometriosis. And I said, right, okay. He said, I don't think that's what it is, but um, I have seen people with it in random places like their belly buttons. Yeah. Um, so he said, I don't think that's what it is, but I think it's worth putting it down. So I said, yeah, okay, fine. So I come out of there thinking, <laughs> right, best case scenario is it's this thrombophlebitis thing that will go away by itself. Worst case scenario is I've got cancer again and I need to figure that out. And then somewhere in the middle is this endometriosis, which by this point, I, as, I say, as I said at the start, I had heard of it, but I didn't really know what it was. So at that point, to me, that was quite a good outcome. <laughs> but also I was thinking, it's not that. It's, it, can't, it can't be that. It, it's not that. Um, so then... So then I just, yeah, went about life as normal. And then um, the results took a while to come back because they were querying a lymphoma and it, the results go to the All Wales Lymphoma Panel. So instead of taking sort of a week to 10 days to come back, it was more like three or four weeks. But that was fine because I'm glad they were being thorough. Um, so yeah, so I got a call from the GP, which was the same GP that I'd been seeing this lump in my groin and he said to me I'm ringing with the uh, results of the um, of the uh, uh, biopsy and I said okay and he said um, he said right he said the first thing is good news it's not a lymphoma and I was like okay that's great wow he said um, but it is it has come back surprisingly um, endometriosis now, by this point, I'd had a month or so to look at what endometriosis is. And it, funnily enough, it wasn't actually the positive outcome that I thought it might feel, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, the GP quite right, it's not cancer and that is brilliant. But, but I was being told that as of that moment, I have or have had a chronic condition that has no cure. And that was what was in my head was, okay, I know what it is and I'm really glad to know what it is. But I did have that overwhelming feeling of, there is no cure for this condition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so he was being very positive to me on the phone and I said to him, I am really, obviously really pleased that it's not cancer, but um, I do now have to get my head around that I've got this chronic condition and also I need to get my head around how that's going to impact on like my life and also my like plans with my husband and stuff like that um, so we had a chat and he was as I say he'd been very um, very empathetic all along I was really grateful for that and he let me know the GP in the practice that had like a specialist interest in endometriosis um which was which was good to know as well um so yeah so that's that that takes us up to yeah about a year ago when I when I got that diagnosis so when you've got the diagnosis it's 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 interesting it's it's like uh, you've got to I'm trying to put myself in your position thinking that you think, oh, great, it's not cancer. And, and to most people, that would be amazing, you know, amazing news. But actually, 
like you said, it was a diagnosis that, that was going to sort of impact yeah. for the rest of your life. So when you thought about that, how did you, did you discuss it with your husband? How did you envisage that your life would be impacted by it? Um, well, I think I just couldn't believe that I had a chronic condition and I would have had it all my life. Um, from what I know of endometriosis, it's something that, you know, you're born with um, and it doesn't manifest until you reach, um, you know, reproductive age, really. Uh, um, what's it called? Um, adolescence. Um, puberty, yeah. Puberty, that's the word. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it doesn't manifest until that point. Um, so I, I couldn't believe that at the age of 31, I was having this diagnosis when I would have had it all this time and not known about it. Yeah. And it started to raise questions for me then. Could I have could I have known about this sooner? Have I missed something? Um, and it's certainly a conversation that me and my mum have had because uh, my mum would accompany me on quite a lot of appointments and stuff and obviously, not obviously, but I have quite a, a close relationship with my mum. I mean, it's something that we talked about, like, you know, could either of us have known or could we have done something sooner? And I know those those kind of thoughts don't help because you can't go back in time. There's nothing, <laughs> you can't change what has what has been. Um, but you just can't help it either when you get something like that, particularly something that is that has always been there. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, after I got over the great, it's not cancer thoughts, um, which were very much there, um, it was then replaced with this um, feeling of uh, disappointment and uh, anxiety, really, around having, yeah, having endometriosis and what what's going to happen next um because yeah it wasn't the quick it wasn't the quick fix <laughs> diagnosis yeah. i was hoping it was going to be <laughs> yeah it sounds yeah. to me even getting to that diagnosis that it's, it took a lot of tenacity to get there you know and and you really had to sort of like you said for a number of years and i from what i've read that that seems to be consistent with a lot of women that quite often they live with the condition for a long long time and it, they had to take a lot of, I suppose, fight, actually, to find out what's going on with them in the end. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've got my GP practice is brilliant. And, you know, all the GPs there are great. Um, and I'm really, really great, grateful for that. And so I like the appointment from discussing about like the lump of my groin and the next steps and stuff. I felt able to to to. Not ch challenge is probably the wrong word because I, I don't I wasn't having an argument with him but I felt able to say but hang on a minute if I need bloods and if I'm going to have an ultrasound at some point then can't we just crack on and do it now yeah. <laughs> um and but you know I you know I've got a healthcare background a lot of my friends and family uh, work in healthcare and I did send e uh, messages to a couple of friends before I had my GP appointment saying just double checking GPs can refer for ultrasound, can they not? And so, you know, I did do a bit of research about what I was entitled to have so that if I had to um, make my case, um, that I would be able to. And I think some of that comes from my experience of, um, like, having medical appointments and stuff. Um, and also, like, the way that I... I've been brought up as well. I've been brought up to like question things and ask questions and, you know, don't leave a route, don't leave an appointment with a question, um, you know, because you'll regret it afterwards. Um, so I guess I've kind of been brought up that way. But yeah, you're right. A lot of the stuff that I read as well about other people's experiences of endometriosis and women's health issues, you know, women do have to be prepared to fight in some ways. Um, and that makes me feel quite angry at times because, um, you know, we're already putting up with a lot. <laughs> um, 
and most of us only go to the doctor when we absolutely really need to. Um, so we shouldn't really have to fight, I don't think. Um, yeah. But again, maybe that comes back to what we were talking about before, about how women's health issues, particularly around menstruation, is almost it's like it's normal to put up with pain <laughs> and discomfort yeah. and all of those things. Absolutely, absolutely. So when you've got your your diagnosis and and you've got this um, this 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 sort of label for, for what's going on, you know what's going on with you now. Mm. How did that change your view of, or did it change your view of health, of relationships, of the future? Um, I think it um, suddenly things become a bit more urgent yeah. <laughs> um, in the sense that, so for example, in this journey of me being under gynae and things, um, me and my husband have been trying to um, start a family. Yeah. So by the, by the point of the diagnosis, we'd been trying for um, about a year, 18 months or more um and we've been able to try more because i'd had women's health physio and that had helped with with that um so we've been already trying for a year without success um i'd had by that point two miscarriages um so we knew in the fertility department if you like <laughs> that maybe things weren't going to be as plain sailing as one might hope um but again we just thought it was just going to take us time and because we've had so many difficulties with 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 having intercourse and with pain and discomfort anyway um we just thought it was all sort of tied into that really yeah. um so yeah so getting this diagnosis was really like right <laughs> okay uh we have this diagnosis that explains a lot um and uh okay so this now explains maybe help, helps to explain why we struggle to conceive and actually now it puts a bit more pressure time pressure i guess on you know when we you know what we're going to do fertility wise and trying to start a family and things and I think, again, thinking about society views and stuff, I think we're kind of brought up to expect that when you decide to have children and start a family, that it's just going to happen. <laughs> like, it'll, you just decide and then quite soon you'll then get pregnant. And what I've found since getting this diagnosis and I think being more open about it, speaking to people, I've found a lot of people actually struggle to, to get pregnant for different reasons, but nobody ever hears about it. Nobody talks about it. But we all say the same thing, that we all thought that this would just happen for us. And for me, um, I was very much like, right, I'm going to go to uni and I'm going to get a job and I'm going to do all of this stuff and then I'll get married and then I'll start having a family at a certain point. And you just kind of expect that it's going to happen. And then now, knowing knowing what we know now with my diagnosis, it does make you think to yourself, I, I do think to myself, if I'd known this a lot, if I'd known this earlier in my life when I was younger, I prob it probably would have changed my thoughts around family and life plans and stuff like that. Because it does make it a lot harder to to get pregnant yeah 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 um it's, it's and it's one of those things going back to, to how people speak isn't it it's it, it's one of those things that one there's topics we can't talk about we feel we can't talk about mm. it feels like sometimes we can't talk about fertility in one way but in another way it's normal for somebody to come up and say when when you plan to have kids when are you have you have you having kids it's, it's I find that really odd yeah you know it's a weird thing yeah absolutely yeah it's like expected and you know people expect that you're going to people at some point are going to have kids and 
that is that you know you just it's like one of those questions that you ask when you meet people like oh so where are you from are you married got kids <laughs> yeah. like, um and you think to yourself actually it's only like you know since we've had difficulties that those sorts of questions become very difficult to answer um and yeah it's something that i you know talk you know people that i've spoken to who have similar difficulties around uh, fertility um you know those are very difficult questions um but um but yeah no it uh, the diagnosis did it it did start to change our like plans going forward i guess <laughs> and can i ask you a question about so what support was there for you when this happened because these are a big sort of like perceptual changes about how your life might be different to how you envisage. So who, who did you have to reach out to? What sort of things? And I suppose as well, you know, I know your husband's not here today, but as, as a unit, you know, as a, as a team between you and your husband, where could you both go for support with this? Um, so when we got the diagnosis, and I say we, my husband says we, because it, even though it's me, it affects both of us. Um, so when we got the diagnosis, um, I, so I had my, my husband and my parents and friends, but I was kind of, I felt like I'd kind of been left, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I got the diagnosis from the GP, fine. Um, one of the next things I did was to ring my gynae consultant secretary and request that he check the clinical portal. Because even though I'm under gynae, this did not happen through gynae, this happened through GPs. So that was the next thing I did was request that my consultant check the clinical portal and could they could they get back to me? And he he did very quickly get back to me and request that I have an appointment for a review. So that was good. But in terms of support, um, I, yeah, I didn't really know where to go. Um, we didn't know anyone else at that point, anybody that was having problems that we were having. I didn't know any other women that were experiencing the type of things that I was experiencing um i didn't know anyone that had had women's health video i didn't know anyone that was struggling to conceive i didn't know anybody that was having pains in the intercourse uh i didn't know anybody and i did not know who as i say I could talk to friends and family my husband and that for me that was a really good help but nobody really knows um what it's like unless you going through it um so um and like the miscarriages for example i didn't speak to anybody about them and um again you know who to talk to so what did i do i actually turned to my gynecologist yeah yeah and i asked him i said right i need resources I'm someone that likes to know the facts. I like to do my research. To me, knowledge is power, although sometimes knowledge is pretty bloody frightening at times. Yeah. But um, I need resources and I need reputable ones. Um, what can you suggest? And so he came back to me with endometriosis UK and fair treatment for the women of Wales. And so those were the places that I went for information, endometriosis UK website, Fair treatment for the women of Wales. I joined them. I think membership was about a pound or something, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, theirs is the only forum I will follow. So they have a public Facebook page and they also have a private group page for members. That is the only forum I will follow. Um, I know people take support in different ways and there's probably lots and lots of blogs out there. I know there are blogs. I've seen various blogs and things. And I do tend occasionally dip into blogs or Instagram stuff, but I don't join groups or forums that are not 
um, as I say, like kind of reputable and have uh, like managed in the way that the fair treatment of the women of Wales one is. Um, so that's kind of where I went and I was just kind of a bit of a, of a silent member for a while, just sort of reading people's posts and advice and links and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm just over a year on from it now. And, and now and again, I do comment and make suggestions for others um, because I feel like I'm able to do that now. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of how I found support, really, with me and how I research things, yeah. Because it sounds to me, um, you know, the words you were using is, um, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody who had this. I didn't know anybody who was experiencing this. Yeah. And and the word, as you were saying those, is the words in my mind was, I, well, forgive me if I'm wrong, is you sounded quite isolated, you know, you, yeah. it's, and I don't know if, if these these mechanisms, you know, the, the support groups helped. Uh, yeah, no, you're, you're right. It definitely felt isolated. And I knew, I knew that there was, must be other women going through this. There had to yeah. be. I mean, one in 10 women get endometriosis. Like, there couldn't be the only person. We couldn't be the only couple having to deal with what we were having to deal with, with, um, you know, sex, which everyone talks about, like, supposed to be really pleasurable and I find it you know at times really difficult and um, it's like you can't can't we can't be the only people in the world going through it and I knew that but definitely felt isolated because these are things that nobody talks about and you mm. can't find advice online you've got to be careful what you search <laughs> yeah, exactly and and also I do I want to find stuff that is, as I keep saying the word reputable, but that's the only thing I can think of. I want to find a, the advice that I need for me. I want it to be based on something. And I want to know that that is the correct advice or whatever. Um, so when it comes to like the condition, treatment options, stuff like that, I want to make sure that that is all, you know, you know the, the, the right information um but when it comes to support i mean i talk i'm happy to talk about things but i i wasn't i wasn't at a, a support group of people i didn't know a group of people i didn't i wasn't ready for that i i just wanted one person just somebody who i could trust um could build up that kind of trust and rapport with quite quickly and just talk about these things and hear somebody else say yeah I've had that yeah yes, I, I, I've been through that have you tried this have you tried that I mean I'd, I'd go to the GP for advice about um like intercourse and stuff <laughs> and they wouldn't be able to help me and you come out of there I came out of a GP appointment in tears so I was so embarrassed yeah and I'd I'd psyched myself up to seek advice and I'd come away without any advice, being told to, to look online. And I felt ridiculous. And it sounds, and I'm saying it now, and if anyone said that to me, I would, I would be saying to them, you're not ridiculous, not ridiculous at all. Um, but again, that's the thing, you know, you psych yourself up, try and get advice. And then when, it's, when you can't get it, you're left still feeling where you were, which is kind of lost. <laughs> without yeah. any kind of advice and support really yeah it's funny isn't it this is this i you know in my career as a nurse and as a lecturer and things we talk about like sort of you know the activities of living what people do every day and the important things that happen in people's lives and it's funny how that it's so important that we talk about work that's fine we can talk about play to some degree people are happy to talk about religion and, and spirituality but the two topics that people, and I, you know, I think sometimes health professionals struggle with, yeah. sex and death, is, yeah. is, is the things that we, we really struggle with, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. And even now, like, talking to you about it, I'm having that unner unnerving feeling about it. And it feels, yeah, you feel embarrassed to talk about it. But, <laughs> like, you know, everyone must... Had some thoughts or questions about it, and but nobody talks about it. 
<laughs> but it's important that we it's, it's one of those things and I think that's one of the things that I think you know I'm grateful for and I'm sure people listening to it would be really grateful for is the fact is that we should be having these things these, these conversations you know um I think we're better than we used to be you know, you, you know, I look back to, you know, growing up in the 80s when you had, I don't know if you know, Mary Whitehouse, that the word sex was almost banned from television, or if it was uproar, if somebody kissed and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So we are moving on, but um, yes, yeah, it's, it's odd that we still find it so difficult, isn't it, for what, for what is such a natural human yeah. thing, process, you know? And like we say, when it's something that people seem to expect that people couples are going to you know have children yeah <laughs> but the fundamental part of, of that happening and yet it people so easily seem to want to talk about you know have you got children or having families and stuff like that but nobody talks about the things that happen around that and to get so, those children isn't it how those, of how those children are produced. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like, oh, we want to talk about the kids. Don't want to talk about how they got there. You know? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, we don't talk about that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, um, you, you've got this diagnosis now, and obviously there's, there's um, treatments available. There's, like you said, it's non-curative, but there's treatments available. Yeah. And, you know, later on, that. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll find out a little bit more that you 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 and due to undergo an operation for the end of the <laughs> process. How did those, those sort of treatment options come about? So, so my diagnosis, as we know, was kind of an accidental. Um, so normally, for endometriosis, it's uh, the only way to, normally to diagnose it is through a laparoscopy. Um, which. You know, I think it's incredible, really, that there is no other way to diagnose this condition without surgery. Um, so, so yeah, so I kind of went about it the, the wrong way, really, because I had this diagnosis, but I don't, I know, all I know is that there's this little lump in my groin. I don't know where, where else it is. And that's the thing about endometriosis. The other thing about it is that um, it's very individual to each person who has it. So no person will have the same um, the same symptoms, and you could be riddled with it and have very little symptoms, <laughs> or you could have a little bit of it and have really difficult symptoms. So yeah, yeah your symptoms don't really correlate to the extent of the disease. So. What happened next was, um, so I had my appointment with my gynecologist and he was like, right, okay, so <laughs> we now have this diagnosis, this lump in your groin, very interesting. Um, he said, right, so treatment options were as follows. Either um, hormone treatments like the pill <laughs> to manage the symptoms like the, um, the abdominal pain and the uh, period pain and regulate periods and stuff like that, um, or surgery. Um, so for me, the hormone treatments weren't an option because they're counterproductive to trying to conceive. So, um, and also by doing that, I still don't know the extent of my endometriosis. Yeah. So we were like, we agreed that we would go down the laparoscopy route um, and by this point, so this is about, um, so it's diagnosed in December, so we're now in the sort of January, February, March period, January, January, sorry. Um, so I was listed for laparoscopy on the NHS as a routine um, list, which is fine. Um, so then the, the problem then came with the waiting list. Um, so the waiting list was um, insane. Um, I was on something called a referral to treat pathway, which means that the clock begins from that referral for an um, investigation. So back in the September, October time when my GP referred me for the um, ultrasound, that starts, starts the clock ticking. 
Um, so on the referral to treat pathway at the time, I should have had my surgery within 36 weeks. Um, but having had conversations with um, in the sort of February, March time about roughly when might I be expecting to hear about my operation, um, it became apparent very quickly that I would exceed the 36 week wait from the start. Um, so that didn't sit well with me. Um, and I, I, you know, to me, I was very much like, well, surely this highlights a bigger problem that the, if the waiting lists are a breach, if you're predicting a breach already, what is being done about that? Um, but that's a wider question we can maybe think about later. Um, so, so I was like, right, okay, so here I am now with the prospect of not having this surgery within the, the nine months. Is it nine months? 36 weeks, nine months, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, my maths is appalling. Okay. Um, do, you know, do you know, I'm trusting you on that one. I'm trying to work it out with my yeah. head. It's about nine months. So, to me, nine months is a hell of a long time to wait, particularly for something that is affecting fertility, which we all know women have a biological clock that is ticking. So this didn't work for me very well, but I sat with it. Then come March 2020, and we are in the midst of a global pandemic and in lockdown, and everything is kind of... <laughs> everything is now off the table pretty much because nobody knows what's happening. So um, around about the summer of 2020, spring and spring summer, uh, having had conversation with my husband and my family, I decided that I would opt for private uh, treatment under the same consultant, luckily, but privately. Um, and luckily I'd always had private medical insurance for a long time. Um, so I was able to, to use that. And again, I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, but again, with COVID happening, there was still no definite plan for surgery. Um, and in the meantime, in the February of 2020, I had another miscarriage again. So I was now three miscarriages, having tried to conceive for, for 18 months. So can't remember exactly off the top of my head um, and waiting for a surgery to finally although I knew I had endometriosis this operation is now going to tell us exactly where it is and what it's doing um, so eventually I had the laparoscopy in October 2020 uh, privately um, and that was interesting having to self-isolate for surgery and everything um, and um, it turns out that my endometriosis is quite uh, widespread. Um, so there's little bits pretty much everywhere in my abdominal cavity. So I've got a little bit on the bowel, little bits on the small bowel, a little bit under the ovaries in the, in the peritoneal space, a little bit between the bladder and the uterus, another little bit between the uterus and the bowel. Um, and so my consultant described it as one of the most interesting presentations of endometriosis he's ever seen. Um, and I think having spoken to him and the, I had a colorectal surgeon had to be present for the operation as well, um, speaking to both of them, I think they seemed a bit surprised at how expensive it was. Um, so again, <laughs> The, I got a very big sense of relief when I heard exactly where it was, because now I know exactly what we're dealing with. Yeah. But also, I can't believe that it's there, that it's in all of those places. Um, and by this point, um, you asked me before about my symptoms. By this point, I've started to realise that I did have a lot more symptoms than I realised. Um, so I had problems with my bowel and emergency to go to the toilet, um, intermittent between constipation and emergency. Um, 
And so all of these little things that I just thought were normal <laughs> when I kind of come in together in this picture of actually, these could all be related to my endometriosis. Mm -hmm. So the difficulty conceiving, the bowel problems, the painful periods, the pelvic pains, the pelvic floor problems, all of these things were now coming together and creating this picture of, of what endometriosis was doing yeah. inside me without me knowing. And that, that, that bit of it I really struggled with was the fact that I had a, a disease, a condition that I don't know, I did not know was there. Um, and that feels, it's, it's probably a bit, sounds a bit strange really, but you can't see, I can't see it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I really struggled with all of this is going on inside my body and I didn't know about it for years. And even though I know now, uh, not really many options for dealing with it. <laughs> yeah, there's this there's, there's a lot of literature about like hidden disorders and the hidden body. Yeah. It's only when it comes up. Do you know what something struck me as you were saying those things then about putting everything together is again, they're all the things we find difficult talking about. Mm. And I think, you know, hopefully, you know, we have a lot of students listen to this, you know, from healthcare, whether it's nursing, OT, medicine, physio, whatever. I think it demonstrates really that there shouldn't be barriers to these conversations. Obviously, they've got to be done in a sensitive way and obviously yeah. done in the right way. But avoiding of these topics is not the right thing to do. You know, yeah. that, like you said, we, we get a bigger picture of what's going on with people. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, sometimes that's about giving people a chance to speak about things that are maybe on their mind and they're worried about. But for me, a couple of these these things that symptoms, I didn't realize that that wasn't normal. And I mean, who talks about their bowel habits, you know, like, um, and I, you know, you just, I come up with strategies. So I knew that in the mornings was my worst time. So I had to time my journey to work and I had to get up early in order to give my system chance to get going so that I wouldn't get caught short somewhere. You yeah. know, things like that, that I just sort of just did. And then actually now it's, you know, now I've got like kind of guy saying to me, well, you've got endometriosis in this area, that would probably explain that problem with your bowel and things like having pain when you're trying to go to the toilet. Like, again, <laughs> coming back to the, what's acceptable. Yeah. But, well, it was normal if you had a bit of a difficult bowel movement that you're going to have pain with it, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's not normal like if it's happening a lot like consistently and you get in a pattern like that's not normal um yeah so yeah it did um yeah that surgery did it did answer a lot of questions and yeah that i that was the first time in the since i'd had the diagnosis that i had a sense of relief i think because finally I had answers, like proper answers. Yeah. Yeah. So you're due for surgery soon? Yeah, so I've got follow-up surgery in a week, <laughs> a week's time. Um, so yeah, the last one was a, a exploratory laparoscopy. They did do a little bit of excision where they take away some of the endometriosis. So they did that in some areas of the bowel because they had the colorectal surgeon present. Um, but they, it was, there was too much for them to do in one, in one sitting, if you like. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, so my next surgery now is uh, what, what they tend to call excision surgery, where they're going to now remove as much of the endometriosis as they can. Um, and the aim of that for me, so it's different for different people, but some people, they have the surgery for symptom management and pain management. 
for others it's around fertility and for me it's about fertility um so um so yeah so that is yeah a week's time so yeah queuing up for that and you kindly agreed to keep us audio diary so um the people listening to this will sort of be able to sort of hear your journey through that surgery then yeah yeah i will i'll yeah do my best to um yeah keep, keep an audio diary of um sort of what what goes on and um yeah how my recovery is from that okay well best of luck with the surgery and what we'll do is we'll catch up with you and listen through your diary you know which like i said you kindly agreed to share with us yeah. and we'll chat again on the other side all right yeah that'd be great Oh, thanks so much for this, Lara. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ricky. In the next episode, you'll hear Lara's journey through hospitalisation as she goes for treatment for her endometriosis. And in the meantime, if you'd like more information on the condition, please visit the Facebook page of Fair Treatment for the Women of Wales, as well as organisations such as endometriosis.org. Thank you.